Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm delighted to be joined today by expert coach and trainer, Tim Sagala. Tim is an author and is co-founder and director of Rising Minds, a coaching and mindfulness social enterprise that combines coaching with neuroscience-based mindfulness training. Hi, Tim. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Ben. Good morning. Good morning. Whereabouts are you calling in from? I'm in East London. East London. How's London going in, in this crazy new world? Yeah. Um... I mean, in a way, I don't really know because I haven't seen much of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but my, my part seems all right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Quite quiet, to be honest. Yeah. I, I had to drive to go to the shops the other day. I was shocked that there was traffic. I was very uh, disappointed. Yeah. So uh, thank you for joining me. Why don't we start by you telling us a little bit about your background and then how and why you started your business? Sure. So um, I was born. No, no, I won't start there. I'll start. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my... Uh, career background before I got into what I'm doing now was mainly in communications and um, project management. I actually did a degree in um, classics, Latin and Greek and philosophy, which was uh, delightful, but completely useless. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, kind of fell into PR and comms and project management work, which I found reasonably enjoyable. But over the years, um, I started to get a hunch um, that I wanted to do more interpersonal work. And indeed, my, I guess my own life experience and my own struggles at times sort of pushed me in that direction. About 15 years ago, got into some therapy um, and then got into mindfulness on the advice of my therapist. And that was a sort of turning point in being able to manage my own um, challenges better. Um, and um, actually took up a, a, a rare job opportunity um, to work at a Buddhist centre running a secular health and wellbeing programme. Uh-huh. I was administering it. I wasn't yet sort of in the interpersonal field. Yep. Um, and that was the transition really where um, I realised sort of being around people who uh, were I guess more in touch with themselves and good communicators um, that yeah I wanted to to be in that world more um, and so after a few years of that um, I I did some training initially as a mediator um, community mediator um, and that was the sort of first confirmation of oh yeah I really like this sort of interpersonal work um, and so um, actually briefly had a job as a workplace mediator which didn't really work out but it mm. again confirmed the general direction I wanted to go in and it also it was a bad experience of working for an organization so it, although that wasn't pleasant it propelled me into doing what I also knew that I wanted to do which was to go it alone and not really be an employee anymore so that's what I decided no. to yeah train as a um, as a mindfulness uh, trainer and also as a coach. And I, I thought that coaching would be a good uh, partner of um, mindfulness training because it's yeah. quite a sort of versatile modality. 
So yeah, that's about 12, 13 years ago now that I retrained and the rest, as they say, is cliche, is history. <laughs> and what exactly is mindfulness? Yeah, good question. Lots of different ways of answering that. The, the way I like to answer it uh, succinctly as possible is that I think it's the art or the science of skillful awareness. Um, so uh, essentially what it's trying to teach us to do and the neuroscience backs it up is um, develop our capacity to um, understand what's happening in our experience better through training our brains to pay attention more in the present moment. Um, so people sometimes sort of say, oh, mindfulness is just about being in the present moment. And that's only half the story. For me, it, that's the technique that then opens up all the awareness and insights that it's really about. So it's about seeing ourselves more clearly, being able to process our experience. Um, and as a result, to make wiser decisions um, in any aspect of our lives. So, yeah, that's how I like to think about it, the art of skillful awareness. Yeah, sure. Okay. I know that consultancies and training companies in any area of the broad world of HR, they sometimes have to convince the sceptics, the CFOs, etc., of the value of their services. And mm. I'm sure that applies to the area of mindfulness uh, for corporate clients. How do you convince skeptics in the corporate world of the value? Well, it's where the evidence base is really handy. Um, you know, that as trainers and consultants, we can sort of point people to some of the, the key studies and findings about how, you know, the brain is literally rewired um, and, you know, all sorts of studies about how that improves concentration and productivity and emotional well-being. So it's, it's helpful to be able to point to that and, and that definitely will convert some. Uh, I think also uh, that there's sometimes wisdom in recognising you're not going to convert everyone um, and, uh, you know, to move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If people are really... Um, something's blocking their uh, ability to take on board something new, then there's nothing much you can do about it. Um, and in a way, sometimes then, bizarrely, what can happen is that instead of trying to convince them through the, the science, which will convert some, but not others, instead, hopefully, if you can give them a direct experience for themselves, uh, by, you know, giving them a little taste of mindfulness and oh. inviting them to see how they feel by, you know, doing a little guided reflection or meditation. That's often the way that you um, really convert people. And I remember someone saying to me recently in a different context that it's interesting because sometimes when you're trying to convert someone to whatever it is, if they're expressing a lot of scepticism, that can actually be a good sign that they might be ready to be converted. It's the people who just stay silent, mm. um, who you, you perhaps yeah. be a bit more worried about. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I, I used to run um, for a company I worked in years ago. I went around the UK running training sessions for leaders, frontline leaders, things like that as part of a mm. business turnaround. Uh, and in the UK and Ireland, I'd, I'd be I don't know, sharing my thoughts on a particular topic. What do you guys think? And they'd go, yeah, that sounds quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. Then I got asked to run that same session in the Netherlands. 
So here's my thoughts on this topic. What do you guys think? Ben, I think you're full of beep. And I'll tell you why you're full of beep. And, you know, as they were very direct and honest and you could actually resolve things a lot easier or I don't know, faster with that. So yeah, you're right. When, when people sort of push back, you can actually dive into things a little more. Absolutely. I mean, and you know, it's interesting at the moment that, you know, because no doubt for you too, that so, well, obviously at the moment, all my work is currently online and, you know, I sort of live, half live on Zoom mm. and running group sessions. And the worst thing, and it will happen sometimes because people just sometimes can be shy or they're tired or whatever it might be. And, you know, you're running a session and you leave gaps for inquiry and feedback. And it's the silence that we fear, you know, it's like, oh, it, because you can't, you don't know what to do with it. You don't know what that means, the silence. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'd much prefer someone to, yeah, pipe up with, you know, saying, oh, it's all very well you saying this, but have you thought about that? And then at least you can respond. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what does Rising Minds actually do? How do you help your clients on the corporate side, that is? So really, it's uh, mainly around resilience in the workplace, and that's particularly a focus at the moment. I yeah, mean, it is, it, it's, um, it's the bread and butter of what we do because it's, it's I mean, it's a buzzword, uh, resilience at the moment, but it, it does encapsulate well what mindfulness uh, and the mindfulness approach more broadly can do um, in the workplace, helping people to... Yeah, to really, I suppose, access their own natural resources to manage what's on their plate more effectively and to build good uh, relationships and communicate well with each other. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes that's through more of a, a training approach where we're, we're teaching mindfulness-based skills and processes. And then it might also take more of a coaching approach. Um, I, I tend to blend the two um, I think they sit very well alongside each other, but yes, yeah, certainly at the moment with this you know, COVID situation that we're living through together, and as organisations are, you know, having to adapt and to work out how best to continue and to function in this new normal, then uh, you know what what we can do is really help people think some of that through. And what policies, processes, systems they might need to be changing. Yep. Uh, but again, on a sort of broader level, just equipping um, their people with more skills and resources to take good care of themselves. Um, and actually, I think, you know, one thing I'm really glad about um, in this period because it was something that I experienced as an employee. I, I didn't really enjoy being an employee of an organization because there's too much of a rebel in me. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> I often found that I, it, it sort of, even with the best employers, to me, I often felt infantilized um, and that my life was being over controlled by my employer. Mm. Um, and what I've noticed that I'm enjoying in this period is that employers are being forced to treat their staff with more um, respect and uh, treating them more as adults because they've just got to trust them to get on with it and do the job at home. Yeah. <laughs> and um, some people might be struggling with that um, because they actually are used to and enjoy the structures of a, an office in an organization. You know, they'd be very different from me in that way. 
um, but other people may be struggling. Um, so, yeah, I think we're here to help people really adapt to these changing conditions. Yeah, that's a good point. Everyone's different, so it does need to adapt. Um, you mentioned earlier that um, in terms of trying to convince corporations, um, clients of the benefits of what you do and, the, and mindfulness, uh, and in some cases, it's just easier just to walk away and, and not have to fight it and go for businesses, clients who are more ideally suited or are more open to it. Are there any clues or typical, I don't know, traits of these companies that are more open to this? How do you find your ideal clients? Yeah, good question. I mean, sometimes they find us. Um, which, which is the is best. Going, yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, so much of business, as, you know, as I continue to learn, is is really done through recommendation and referral. Um, uh, so, yeah, if they're finding you, it's because hopefully someone's said good things about you. But um, I would say for, for the sort of work that, that I'm doing, the, the signs are or the kind of characteristics of an organisation uh, that would be uh, willing to potentially invest in this sort of work are um, that they're very open uh, in their thinking. Um, they, they want to be innovative, that they're willing to recognize that they don't necessarily have all the answers um, to some of these complicated problems. Um, as I was saying before, generally speaking, that they are open to um, entering more and more this new paradigm of uh, giving their employees more and more freedom and control over their um, workload and, and how they work, um, that they are genuinely um, interested, you know, kind of genuinely, not just from a sort of bottom line, financial bottom line approach, they're genuinely interested in supporting the well-being and welfare of their people. Um, in other words, that they sort of see that as 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 part of what the nature of their organisation is is to create uh, an environment and a workplace that is nurturing and uh, nurturing and nourishing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that would be some of the characteristics. Yeah. Uh, I mean, of course, you know, there are organisations that do want to jump on a bandwagon it's like oh what's this mindfulness thing oh does it mean we can squeeze some more juice out of our people um and uh, yeah you know sometimes <laughs> you might not filter those organizations yeah. you, may, you may end up working with them um so sometimes with the work that we do we run advertising campaigns to support content or things like that but um can be pretty hard to put filters and targeting around some of the things you've described. How did you get your clients in, the, in when you first started out and how do you grow your business these days and find new clients to work with? So, I mean, it is a lot of word of mouth for sure. Um, we are also a slightly unusual organization because we're a social enterprise. We operate in a number of different fields. So alongside stuff in, uh, corporations we run programs in the communities um, for people who wouldn't otherwise access um, sort of coaching and mindfulness training so that's very very different that's often through 
um, grant funding, um, although we do have contracts with um, charitable organisations. Yeah. But yeah, in, in, in the corporate space, some of the work did, you know, literally start where you just approach an organisation that you see a sort of alignment with and um, find a good person to speak to who you think is sympathetic to what it is you're trying to do. Um, uh, and then, yeah, that kind of just builds from there that, yeah, recommendation and referral. Um, but yeah, you know, there is a certain degree also of just put, trying to put yourself out there a bit, including yeah, yeah. things like this, podcasts <laughs> and articles and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm still learning about that. It's, 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 I think that's an ongoing learning process. And uh, yeah, I'm also learning that cold calling in inverted commas mm. is um a not much fun well some people like it i think um, and b uh, not very productive quite frankly it's all through recommendation or largely through recommendation yeah which is pretty standard i don't think you need to go and copy the wolf of wall street to uh grow your business i think there are yes. other ways of doing it <laughs> depends what you want to grow yeah. way, doesn't it yeah absolutely um, so what do you see coming down the road for HR and the world of work and how should listeners get prepared for these changes? So I think that more than ever, I mean, really to state the obvious, and as I often say in programs I'm running, I am the past master in stating the obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Although I often think we need to keep stating the obvious and need to hear yeah, the, yeah. the same things over and over again. So I think more than anything, what organizations, uh, their HR departments need to really get on board with is flexibility of thinking and response. Um, because we just don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, again, we, we're hearing this, you know, repeatedly over and over again. I don't know how many times I've heard the word uncertainty in the last mm. few months but that is that is the real stark truth here and um, you know in normal times we make plans and we can be pretty certain about certain assumptions that we've built into those plans yeah. and now there are very few unshakable assumptions we can make about um, for example where people can work um, and exactly what that's going to look like. Um, of course, you know, where orders and businesses are going to be coming in from, what's going to be happening on the markets, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so it, it, the, 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 the single biggest, from a psychological point of view, and therefore also I think organisationally um, too, the biggest uh, quality or capacity people need is psychological flexibility, whereby um, everything in a way is going to be sort of both sped up and slowed down at the same time, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so like week tricky, by, yeah. Week, exactly, it is tricky. So week by week, you know, sort of, you have to assess afresh and think, okay, well, what, what's it looking like now? And, and how do we adjust things this week or this month um, in a way that we would never have had to have done before? Um, but also things are, are being slowed down because, well, the economy is just sort of creaking a bit. 
Um, so, you know, growth um, is going to be slow, perhaps, although, again, we don't know. <laughs> so if, if individuals and teams and organisations can get more and more familiar with not having the answers and being comfortable with that and not being freaked out by it because our automatic tendency is often to get freaked out by that, then I think that's the that's the going to be the difference between if you like winning and losing in what lies ahead. Uh, I, I would say all of this, wouldn't I? Because that's sort of the nature of my work is to help people develop psychological flexibility. But I, I really mean it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got one more question before I sort of start to wrap up, but sure. it's around for business owners, consultants, uh, HR tech leaders, things like that. Uh, where they're running their own businesses, it's a really stressful time. Mm. What's your advice to them on how to handle this new world we're in? So again, uh, you know, I'd say a lot of what I just covered there is very applicable. I know it doesn't pay bills to be psychologically flexible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't actually translate that into cash. Um, but uh you know, if we can feel grounded in ourselves um, and um, come back to some basic um, well-being in ourselves, then we're better able to access the parts of our brains that come up with creative solutions to problems. Uh, the next thing I would say is to talk about it, to talk about what you're experiencing and to reach out for support and help in, in whatever form that feels right to you. So in other words, don't uh, shoulder more of a burden than you need to. Um, the third thing I would say is, um, and again, I know this is easy to say, it doesn't pay the bills, but it's something I'm becoming aware of more and more in myself, is um, developing more of a light-hearted approach to certain things. That doesn't mean not taking things seriously because they are serious and you may be facing serious problems, but seeing if you can hold it as lightly as possible. Um, and I think that connects with the last one, that if you're able to reach out and talk about it and indeed laugh about things that are just bonkers and crazy and because you know, sometimes yeah. we might go into despair and uh, instead, if we can find a way to sort of laugh at the absurdity of what we're experiencing, uh, again, that just hold, helps us to hold it all more lightly. So, yeah, all my tips are, of course, around the psychology of it. Really. Mm. No, I like them. And um, so I co-host a group of consultants in the HR world and we get together every week or month. And, yeah, a lot of it, it is. It's almost a bit like therapy where people are talking mm. about wins and losses and painful things and I, sh mm -hmm. I shared a story recently of where we won a big contract consulting wise and, and it took a year to win that deal and everyone started going yeah I had this one where it took forever and I thought I'd lost it and so yeah. but the people who had just lost something or kept getting ghosted as the new term is um, huh. where they were getting very stressed out and they were sharing these problems which led to these other discussions and stories coming out and I think, yeah, that the, the situation had not changed, but they felt quite differently afterwards. So, yeah, yeah, that's good advice. Exactly. It, it is all about the mindset, really. Yeah. Mm. 
Um, so I've loved all the stuff we've talked about, and I think people listening to this would certainly have enjoyed it as well. If people want to uh, engage your services, partner with you, refer business to you, or just learn more about you and your, your company, what should they do next? Uh, so uh, visit our website um, where you can get in touch with me. So our website is uh, risingminds.org.uk. Uh, and you can read about our services and organizations there. Um, there's a contact form, so you can drop me a line. And uh, yeah, I'd be delighted to hear from anyone. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time. Really enjoyed it. And folks who are listening, yeah, go check out the website. You'll see the link in the show notes as well. Uh, but Tim, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.